Lord, as we go to your word to continue our worship of you, we pray that as we look at the resurrection of your son, that we will see it again with renewed eyes, that our heart will be renewed once again in our spirit. And that, Lord, we will worship you from the depths of our being, for you are worthy. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. I'd like to begin this morning by asking you, how well do you pay attention? Now, I'm going to have them show you a video this morning so that we can test this out. And by the way, this is not a trick question to see how long I can preach, okay? But rather, I really want you to focus, okay? And see if you can keep your attention. Go ahead and put it up on the screen if you would, the video. This is a test of selective attention. Count how many times the players wearing white pass the basketball. How many passes did you count? The correct answer is 15 passes. But did you see the gorilla? How many got 15 passes? Just, just, yeah. Okay. How many of you saw the gorilla? Yeah, interesting, isn't it? Selective attention effectively um, shows us that what we focus upon can so capture our attention that we become unaware of other input. We live in two worlds. There is the visible, physical world. It captures our attention. But there is also an invisible, spiritual world. And it often does not capture our attention. In fact, we often don't see it like the gorilla. We are unaware of it and everything that's going on in it, in the present. It exists. It is no less real. In fact, the Bible says that it is more important because in the end, in that spiritual world, we will realize eternal consequences for good or ill. Now what does all this have to do with the resurrection of Jesus? Well, in resurrection... The invisible spiritual world has become visible to us. We see the full picture of both worlds and we see what God is doing. 
we see God's great love for humanity and for all the world through Jesus. Just as the blood of the Passover lamb protected the Israelites from the final plague while they were in captivity in Egypt, so the blood of Jesus protects and covers those who have faith in him. And just as Jesus died and he defeated death when he rose on Easter morning, so those who have faith in Jesus will be resurrected from death. Now the big idea this morning is this, that the resurrection of Jesus is at the heart of two life transformations that move us from death to life. Let me say that again. The resurrection of Jesus is at the heart of two life transformations that move us from death to life. Now think about this. The natural order of life in this visible, physical world is what? From life to death. But then God is doing something through Jesus, and he reverses that order. And in the resurrection of Jesus, we see a movement from what? Death to life. We see a movement from death to life, not once, but twice. Twice. Our text today is from Romans. Paul wrote this letter to the Romans, and as he did, he intended it to be a systematic presentation of the gospel. And in the previous verses and chapter to our text today that we're going to look at, the Word of God says that we are saved from sin by the death of Jesus. And that while Adam's sin has brought about the advent of death for all humanity, Jesus' his righteousness and his death actually reverses what Adam has done. And reverses death and brings about life. And this is all a gift of God. It is by the gift of grace. God's undeserved forgiveness and unmerited favor. That what Jesus has done has covered all sin. Let's read the text from Romans 6, 1 through 8. What then shall we say? Are we to continue to sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For we have been united with him in a death like, for if we have been united with him in a death like his we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him, 
in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. Paul anticipates that what he has said about this gift that Jesus has provided, this gift that brings life, this gift of God that covers all sin, he anticipates that some will think they can wantonly sin so that grace may abound. This is not the case. Paul says, by no means. It is because we are changed spiritually. And Paul connects baptism as the symbol of death. Death to the life before Jesus. Death to the life that is characterized by sin. And that that life, just as Jesus was crucified on the cross and died, is also crucified in our lives. That life is over. It is finished. And we are dead to it. And this is the first of two transformations from death to life. The first life transformation that comes through the death and resurrection of Jesus comes from death to sin. It is an ongoing spiritual life transformation that we experience while we are walking with Jesus. Philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche said, God is dead. The Bible says, God is not dead. But rather, the natural state of humanity is that we are dead to God. Consider what Paul wrote to the Ephesians. They had come to know Jesus. They were alive now to God. But he says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world. While we are alive to sin, we are dead to God. We live as though God does not exist. As though he is not the creator and author and sovereign Lord over all things, including us. William Ernest Henley's poem, Invictus, summarizes what it means to be dead to God. And we see it in the words of this poem. He writes, it matters not how straight the gate how charged with punishments the scrolls. I am the master of my own fate. I am the captain of my own ship. Words that reveal what it means to reject the authority and sovereignty of God over us. In Henley's case, it's outright rejection. But it could be that we just simply are uncertain about God. We don't know whether God exists or not. 
And we like to stay in that place. Because if he does exist, it might require something of us. Or we are confused. Or we are apathetic. In all of these cases, we are dead to God. And until God opens our eyes and our hearts to Him, we will not humble ourselves to God. We will remain the captain of our own ship. But for those who humble themselves before God, for them, they will be alive to God. They will see God. And life will fill them. What does it mean to be alive to God? It means, as today's text says, to walk in the newness of life with Jesus. To be baptized into death with Jesus. To turn away from the old life of sin and to embrace a new life with Jesus. And this, through the power of the Spirit that Jesus provides. Paul characterized it this way to the Corinthians. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Believe me, it is true. I remember in our marriage, Marsha and I got to a point where we felt really stuck. And we looked at each other and we were thinking about it and thinking about how to let God bring something out of this so that there was transformation for us. And we started to talk about the fact that, you know, we're one. And God's word promises that we get to be a new creation. So I think our marriage gets to be new. It gets to be a new creation. We get to do it with God. And allow him to make us new. So as a result, I'm not only on my second marriage. I already passed through that. I hit my third marriage. Right now I'm on my fourth marriage, but if I'm not careful, I might be on my fifth. But God makes us new. And that's one of the things that we discovered, even as a couple. That this new creation is real. Coming from that invisible realm into the visible realm. As the text says, we are no longer enslaved to sin, but are set free from sin. And on last Sunday, if you were here, Palm Sunday, you heard the story of four people who gave testimony to how they came alive to God through Jesus. And how they are living as new creations through Jesus. And how the old life is dead and there is a new life alive to God. Does this mean that we will never sin again? There are those who think it does. Sadly, it does not. It does mean that spiritual transformation has begun. There's a process. The Bible calls it sanctification in which we become more and more like Jesus. And this 
continuing spiritual transformation that comes all the way into our character that we see in our behaviors and how we're living life and how we're walking with Jesus and how we're becoming more like him. Well, it will continue until we are perfect and lacking in nothing because God promises that. It will continue because God promises that he will finish the good work that he began in us when we came to believe in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus and to place all our hope in him. How does this happen? Well, it happens as the Holy Spirit takes up residence within us so that we can live holy lives. Paul wrote this to the Corinthians. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. He's talking about the Holy Spirit here. To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be made manifest in our mortal flesh. The Spirit is the power of God that helps us to be transformed, to become more like Jesus. It does not mean that we will never sin. We will fail, we will fall, we will sin. But God has covered this and we are forgiven. And we will, through the Spirit's help, do what is right more and more. I recently talked to a man who I married 20 years ago. I was his pastor for 13 years. And he came to talk to me. And I asked him, as I often do to people, what what do you want from me? Because sometimes people want from me something I can't give to them, so I like to start from that way, and I can understand. And he said, I would like the truth. So I sat and I listened. I listened to him carefully. And he told me how he felt stuck. Stuck in life. Stuck and nothing was different or new. Stuck in his career and stuck in his marriage. And he felt like he was going to die. Finally, I asked him the question, what do you think I'm going to say to you? He looked me straight in the eye, didn't hesitate and said, you're going to tell me to stay with my wife. And I said to him, you know, The only reason you're stuck and not growing 
is not because of your job and not because of where you are in life and not because of the person you married, but because you're looking for everything outside of you to change instead of changing inside with God's help. Looking at life from another perspective, from this spiritual perspective where God continues to grow and mature you so that you can live life the way God really intended you to live it and so that you can become all that God intended you to be and so that you can live in a peace knowing that you are living life fully and it is worthwhile And I said to him, spend time in the word of God. Be sure to pray. Keep looking to Jesus. Don't forget this. A few days later, during my prayer time, God brought him to my mind and I texted him. And I said to him, remember what Jesus said. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? And then I texted him, what's so wrong with death? Isn't new life with Jesus about dying daily? Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. The journey out for my friend is on the narrow and not easy road. But Jesus will walk with him if he will walk down it. This I know. God certainly transforms us spiritually from one degree of glory to another. We may stumble, we may sin, but by grace and our faith in Jesus, they cover us. We don't go back to the old life. We don't go back to wanton sin. We have a new life and a new walk. And we have the Spirit walking with us in it. Like a spiritual GPS so that we can continue to grow, to live our lives and become who God created us to be. This is the first movement from death. To life. The second life transformation comes from the death and resurrection of Jesus, comes from death to death. Jesus frees us from death. It is not our end. And just as Jesus has resurrected from the dead to life, so we shall be resurrected from death to life. Can you all hear me? Because my voice is failing. Right? <clears throat> Whenever I get excited, and usually it's Easter, it's one of the times, my throat gets constricted. That's because I just want to scream and yell, he's risen, he's risen. There is great hope in Jesus there is life transformation. He has defeated death. And like him, we shall be resurrected 
and live. Our text says, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. What is the death like Jesus? What is the resurrection like Jesus? It's not spiritual. Jesus never sinned. And he didn't live here in some spiritual body like an alien. God came down and took on human flesh, physical body. Jesus died a physical death. But he rose. He rose and defeated death. The New Testament testifies to it. We read about Mary in the garden who talks to the resurrected Jesus. We read about two men who are walking home from Emmaus talking about the events that had happened, how they had declared this man a king, and then how they crucified him only a few days later. And then on the morning of the third day when the women arrived to perform the last of the funeral rites, The tomb's empty. And they said, he's alive. And then they meet a man on this road who begins to show them through all of the Old Testament scriptures how this has been God's rescue plan all along and how the Messiah is the centerpiece of it. Jesus. Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. The New Testament records that when Thomas said, yeah, I'm not going to believe it, unless I put my fingers in the holes that were driven into Jesus' body, Jesus shows up and what does he say? Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands. Put out your hand, place it on my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Paul records that over 500 people actually saw Jesus. Paul even says that he met him on the road to Damascus. Now there may be some skeptics here among you who say, yeah, right. The Bible is not some objective historical rendering of facts. I hear this all the time. The truth is, the more and more archaeology uncovers things, the more and more we discover that what the Bible has to say has a lot of good history to it. Of course, it's not only historical book. It is a theological book. It is talking to us what God wants us to know about life, life with him and life with each other. But there are historical facts that are caught up in the Bible that are important and real. And the resurrection is one of them. There's no way that we can prove the resurrection, but there's no way we can disprove it either. And if we were to look at the evidence carefully, carefully, and most people don't want to do the work, if we look at it carefully, and if we consider the empty tomb, and if we consider the testimonies of people, then the most plausible answer is the most impossible of all, that Jesus rose from the grave. 
Why does this matter? Well, it matters because the resurrection is a historical event. It is evidence of God's love for us and of God's rescue plan through Jesus. It is the invisible spiritual realm colliding into this realm in such a way that we cannot deny it exists. And we cannot deny that God is doing something, that we are the apple of his eye. He loves us. He doesn't want us to be lost in our sin. He doesn't want us to be dead to him. He doesn't want us to have to face all that that means. He wants to love us. And he's provided a way to do it. Because there's no way that we can come to this unless he helps us. That's why he came all the way down in the person of Jesus. That's why he died on the cross. For those of you who were here on Good Friday, you heard his story. And you heard how this has been God's rescue plan through the Old Testament. It matters to us because this historical event of resurrection means that what the Bible says to us is true and that what Jesus has said is true. What he said to Martha is true. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Jesus was telling Martha that death is inevitable for all of us. Even Jesus had to face death. That's the problem with this world. It has fallen from sin, and death is the consequence of it. But death need not be the end. God did not give death the final word. God has the final word, and the final word is in his son, his name, Jesus, who has risen from the grave. He has overcome death. And death, for those who believe in him, is a doorway to paradise. Jesus, the risen Lord, has promised resurrection. Physical bodily resurrection from death. A resurrection like his. It is death to death. The second life transformation that we will undergo when we must pass through that doorway of death. Today is Easter. It is the greatest day of the year. It is the day that we celebrate God's great victory and his rescue plan for us and how, how this invisible world and what God is doing has crashed into this visible world so that we can see it. 
Today is Easter Sunday. It is the holiest of days for Christians. And all over the world, they are celebrating. There is great joy. And everyone is declaring, He has risen. He has risen indeed. Now at the beginning of this message, I ask you to look up at a video. And I ask you to look at how selective attention actually works. And in this video, you are asked to see how many times the people in white are passing the basketball along. And if you were focused and counting on it, looking up at the screen, one after another, staying focused there, well then, you would have counted that there were 15 passes. 15 of them. But how did you do? How did you do when he asked about the video? Did you see the gorilla that walked right through there and beat his chest? You all missed it. You were oblivious to it. He could have walked out here in the middle of this service and you wouldn't have seen it. You and I live in two worlds. A visible, physical world that captures our attention and it's easy for us to miss what God is doing in the invisible world at the same time. Think of the disciples. Jesus had died and he told them he would die. And they missed what God was doing. They missed it until the resurrection. Until they met the resurrected Jesus. It's easy for you and I to miss what God is doing because we're so focused in this world. We're focused on the loss of a loved one. We're focused on facing serious health issues. We're focused on feeling the pain of unrequited love. We're focused on enduring ridicule from others. We're focused on struggling to pay bills or to make ends meet. We're focused on trying to get into the right college or get the right job. The concerns of this world can so capture our attention that we miss the gorilla passing through. I don't want you to miss the hope that is in Jesus. The one who lived and died and rose from the grave. The expression of God's love to us and to the world. He has brought about two life transformations. He has reversed the curse of sin and he has reversed the curse of death. And what was a movement from life to death has become a movement from death to life. Now I know that having a gorilla on Easter Sunday morning is a pretty silly thing to do. And I may even have offended some of your sensibilities for some of you. And if I have, I apologize. I wanted this morning to be memorable. I wanted you to remember it. And I hope you will. But here's what I want you to really remember about it. I want you to remember that because Jesus lived and died, and rose, that God has provided a lasting and eternal hope for you. 
wherever you are in your life, whatever you're facing, whatever pain, whatever struggle, whatever joy, whatever celebration, whatever challenges, even death. Jesus is God's answer. We know that because God has promised it. And what God has done has collided into this visible world through the resurrection of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Join with me in a prayer, please. Lord, we thank you for your unending love. We thank you for crashing into this visible world with the truth of your love for us through Jesus. We are truly grateful because you bring us so much hope. I pray that we will walk with you in the newness of life, Jesus. There may be people here today who've never made that decision for you. I know that you want more than a decision, more than just I will believe and trust, that you want that person and all of us to follow you, to be your disciple, to live with you and walk with you. So I pray that you will help us to do that. All the days of our life, even through the doorway of death. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, for your love and your faithfulness. Amen.